This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. New details tonight in a suspicious car fire in Pitt Meadows. Witnesses tell Global News the SUV burst into flames, injuring one man. Sarah McDonald joins us now with more on this incident. And Sarah, it's clearly shaken the community. What are RCMP telling us? Well, Chris, Sophie, the police tape that has been here all day is now gone, but RCMP are still remaining tight-lipped on the investigation into this case nearly 24 hours after the SUV behind me exploded into flames in the middle of this busy Pitt Meadows neighborhood. Now, we've obtained some footage of the moments immediately after the blast that threw this whole neighborhood into chaos. It all started with a single blast Tuesday night quickly erupting into this full-scale blaze. On Wednesday, investigators expanding what could be a crime scene, combing through what's left of this charred SUV. All of a sudden it sounded like shotguns were going off. There was burning flames 15 feet in the air, probably above the vehicle. It was huge. Investigators are calling this explosion suspicious, but they aren't revealing many other details. Though Global News spoke with one witness who watched it all unfold. We won't identify him as he now fears for his safety. He stayed long in the car, like about, give and take about six minutes. He tells us the lone victim in this case who sustained minor injuries appeared nonchalant after his vehicle exploded. To my surprise was, when he came out, he walked casually. If it were me, I would have a bit of panic. You know, if it's your car, your car is on fire, you'd get a little bit of a panic. RCMP say they eventually tracked the victim down. He was hospitalized with burns to his face, hands and feet. That's pretty freaky. It sounded like gunshots. It didn't sound like a bomb or like if you think of it, one big boom or something, but it was like these repeated things followed by sirens. Locals tell us the victim lives on this street, a regular at nearby restaurants like this one. Management providing this surveillance footage. It's customers gathering outside as those flames erupted. Scary. I mean, it, I've never seen anything like that. I see something on the news or, or whatever, but I mean, it, just to, to see it live, I mean, it was huge. It is believed nobody but that lone victim was impacted by what became a large-scale spectacle. Investigators and the public now seeking answers to what caused an urban explosion that could have had deadly consequences. And those are answers we are also waiting on this evening, along with so many others. Chris, Sophie, many residents who live and work here just now returning many of their homes and businesses behind police tape all day. All right, Sarah, thanks very much for that. Crash analysts at the scene of a fatal collision in Abbotsford this afternoon. Around 3.30 today at number 5 Road and Dixon Road, a 5-ton cube truck T-boned another 5-ton cube truck, forcing one of the vehicles onto its side. Investigators say one person died at the scene. Another was taken to hospital. The conditions unknown. Abbotsford police have the area closed while they investigate, but there are indications one of the drivers may have run a stop sign. 
A brief court appearance today for the man charged in the murder of a Belgian tourist whose body was found near Boston Bar. Sean McKenzie charged with first-degree murder in the death of 28-year-old Amelie Sakalese. Our John Hua was in the courtroom today and has more on McKenzie's appearance and those who came out to support him. Well, Sophie, about 16 people showed up to this Chilliwack courthouse for Sean McKenzie. All family and friends here to support the 27-year-old Oliver Mann charged with the first-degree murder of a Belgian tourist, Emily Sakalis. Now, none of them would speak to the media, but when they entered the courthouse, they easily filled up half of the courtroom. There was a lot of emotion in that room at that time, all of them there to witness the first in-person court appearance of McKenzie. Now, when he entered the courtroom, he was wearing a red sweater. His hair was cut short into a buzz cut. And on two occasions, he briefly looked at his supporters and tried to mouth a couple of words to them. Now, once again, this was a very brief court appearance. And when it was over, his supporters left the courtroom. Many were crying. Many were also hugging each other. Now, the body of 28-year-old Sekulis was found on August 22nd, just off the highway near Boston Bar. And homicide investigators say at the time, McKenzie was at the scene. Now his next court appearance will be on October 19th, and he remains in custody. Sophie, back to you. All right, thanks for that, John. Vancouver police are responding today to criticism following a drug seizure from a market on the downtown east side. The marijuana seizure involves a group that claims it's trying to help people trying to quit opioids. But police have a different version of events. And Nadia Stewart joins us now with more on what happened and the controversy. Nadia. Yeah, Chris, it all started last Thursday. That's when Vancouver police were doing routine patrols through the open market in the downtown east side. When they say the, uh, they observed the High Hopes Foundation market and they saw cannabis and cannabis-related products for sale, they say that the man was, there was a man, an operator there, selling the products against the wishes of the market's director. Now, VPD officers gave the operator a warning, but the next day when police returned, they say the items were once again on display. And that is what you see there caught on camera as police seized the items that were for sale. Now, that is the key there. Sarah Blythe, a well-known harm reduction advocate and council candidate for Vancouver, has been quoted as saying the items on the table were being made available as a harm reduction method. Vancouver police say they're open to harm reduction methods, but not the illegal sale of marijuana. If you need medicinal marijuana to help you with your addiction or any health issue that you have, there are legitimate ways of obtaining it. And this is not one of those regulatory uh, legitimate ways of obtaining marijuana. Um, I haven't seen any policy, but we are open, you know, to uh, support harm reduction, um, especially downtown east side. Now, police seized marijuana cigarettes. They seized hash, really a number of products, but they say no one is facing any charges at this point. Back to you. All right, thanks very much, Nadia. A messy situation in Surrey caused by preliminary work on that city's LRT project. A sanitary sewer line backed up as crews were attempting to move it. Catherine Urquhart explains what caused the accident and where the spilled sewage ended up. At this RCMP station in Surrey's Guilford neighborhood, every window and door is shuttered. The building closed indefinitely after utility construction being completed in advance of light rail transit caused a major sewage spill. As we're in the process of investigating it, so we're pulling the carpets, we'll be cleaning the floors, sanitizing it, and then with the insurance company working on looking at other damages that might have occurred. 
The sewage spill took place August 20th. What happened? A sanitary sewer line was being moved by a construction crew. And when a temporary bypass pump failed, that caused sewage to back up right into the police station. Damage to the structure is limited to the first floor. For now, the RCMP are operating out of their other facilities, and it's unclear when they'll be back in the building. It could have been a lot worse, but our contractor acted quickly, and as part of our plans, they had someone checking on the site every couple hours. Okay. Any dollar figure on the damage? I don't have a dollar figure at this time. We're still working on investigating it and working with the insurance company. City of Surrey officials say they've now completed the sewer project and the spill will have no impact on LRT. Catherine Urquhart. All right, breaking news for you in Langley right now where there is a big police presence at this hour. Vancouver Police and the Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit are at a home on the 202 A Street 73A Avenue in Langley. We are told three people, two men, and one woman were taken into custody, but have been released. Uh, we will have more for you on this breaking story as the details come into our newsroom. Now, Vancouver City Hall, pardon me. I'm going. You go. Vancouver City Hall was packed last night for a heated debate on allowing duplexes across the city. The meeting resuming today after dozens of speakers signed up for the public hearing. Ted Chernecki is live with more on why this issue is so divisive. Ted. Yeah, Chris, on the one hand, of course, the people who do not want these duplexes say, where are you going to park all these vehicles? Where's the public transit? But on the other side, if you have an older house here that needs a lot of renovation, it might make more sense to actually replace it with a duplex, but the zoning does not allow for that. One thing is certain, the days of the single-family home in Vancouver are numbered. To increase the supply side of the housing market, Vancouver is proposing a city-wide zoning change that would allow almost any lot to be eligible for a duplex. But the manner in which this was undertaken has, as I said, been haphazard, last minute, and there are just, again, a whole spectrum of opportunities for public participation in the planning process that have been entirely overlooked. I'm concerned that the city is trying to rezone all of the single-family lots in Vancouver with minimal consultation with the existing communities. More than 70 speakers had signed up for a public hearing at City Hall, and of those that did, as of 11 this morning, there were 186 written submissions in support of the proposal and 302 opposed to it. We can't solve a demand-side problem with a supply-side solution. That's insatiable global demand. All this is going to create is going to create a new wave of uh, speculation frenzy. That's something those who study this market disagree with. Supply is key, they say, to driving down prices. The rezoning will finally take away some of that control that has resulted in single-family homeowners blocking changes in a neighborhood that might otherwise evolve into denser housing. You're not helping people in need with half duplexes. Let's not kid ourselves. What you are doing is setting a precedent and saying single family homes are never going to be affordable to middle class households in Vancouver again. So don't try. Let's recognize that we need greater density. If the neighbors aren't crazy about it, they can make a profit and sell, but they don't get to dictate what happens next door. What seems to be making those opposed to the rezoning really angry is how they see this as being fast tracked by a council that they don't believe has a mandate with the municipal election now one month away. All right, Ted, uh, there's another debate coming up tonight uh, that could be even longer than the one we've seen. 
Yeah, it's even more divisive, perhaps. There's a hundred speakers lined up, at least a hundred speakers in this case. And this is where the city wants to bring up the idea of stratifying these existing properties. So if you have five or six uh, sort of suites in one of these older houses, the city wants you have to have the ability to stratify that and then you'd sell like a basement suite, a one bedroom basement suite for whatever. Uh, so that's the next big debate and that'll last uh, probably for a couple of days. Chris, Sophie? No doubt. All right, thanks, Ted. Now, with just over a month to go before the civic election, a new poll suggests the absence of a mayoral candidate from the governing party in Vancouver is helping an independent candidate. Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria with more on this. Uh, as we know, Keith, Vision Vancouver lost Ian Campbell mm -hmm. as its mayoral candidate. That appears to be helping Kennedy Stewart, an independent. Yes, it certainly seems to be the case, Sophie. Normally, I do caution people to take a big grain of salt with opinion polls when it comes to civic elections because the turnout is so low. But we thought we'd show you this one tonight because pollster American Seiko may have picked up on a trend that is perhaps uh, reshaping the race. So here's his numbers of decided voters. Uh, Kennedy Stewart now, uh, the choice of 36%. That's up 11 points from Ken Seiko's poll back in uh, July. A big jump for him. Uh, Ken Sim of the MPA is second, holding steady at 25%. Not much movement uh, since July. Uh, Shauna Sylvester also seems to have benefited from Campbell's departure at 17%, up six points. Hector Bremner, well back at 7%. We're only showing you the top four candidates in Conseco's poll. But also, I thought it interesting, take a look at the issues. I don't think anybody can dispute this. Housing, far and away the dominant issue for Vancouverites at 67%. Everything else takes a distant, distant backseat, uh, sliding down to transportation at 9%, poverty as well. Uh, and, and take a look at energy and pipelines for all the attention Kinder Morgan's been getting. That is not a big issue, top of mind for Vancouver voters. Back to Ian Campbell, Merrill Kinsaco making the point that one, uh, perhaps two candidates benefiting the most from the departure from that, uh, by that candidate. Ian Campbell's departure definitely changes the game. Uh, one of the reasons for this is that that level of support that he had back in July is moving to Kennedy Stewart and to a lesser extent to Shauna Sylvester. There's definitely a group of voters in Vancouver who like the Vision brand, who wanted to vote for a Vision candidate. They're not going to stay home. They're going to look at other options, particularly the center-left candidates that are in the ballot. All right, Keith, that poll was about the mayoral race. Any sense of what to make of the also very crowded city council race? I mean, it's just crazy. 71 candidates for 10 seats. It's so uh, unprecedented. Uh, Vancouver City Hall is going to have to hold a random draw on Friday to determine the ranking of names on the ballot. Normally, alphabetically, that's not going to happen this time. So who's ever at the top of the ballot is going to have a distinct advantage, I think, over everybody else in the middle of the pack, because most voters aren't going to go through 71 names. That uh, draw is going to take place Friday. And my colleague Richard Zussman is going to have a story about that. It's an unprecedented way of determining a ballot on tomorrow night's news hour. So. All right, looking forward to that. Thank you, Keith. But first, the Nanaimo Elementary School is under fire tonight for its unusual new learning space. The school bills it as an adventure classroom, but it's also referred to as the cage. Kylie Stanton reports. All the desks are lined up facing a projector and a whiteboard. It has all the makings of a classroom, only this one is outside and surrounded by a chain link fence. It seems like it's a third world country or a jail classroom. Departure Bay Elementary prefers to call it the Dolphin's Cove, once a storage area now opened up for use as the school waits on a portable to accommodate the recent bump in enrollment. And despite the Eco School Academy status, where outdoor learning is part of the curriculum, parents say this crosses a line. 
there is a way to do eco-schooling correctly and it doesn't involve a metal cage learning math outside in the cold. In a letter sent home to parents, the grades 6 and 7 teachers sells the idea, writing, we are going to have an adventure. I will be encouraging them to have jackets and good footwear each day. Even going on to say, you may hear the term, the cage. We will be hanging our backpacks and jackets there and using that as our base. Really what she was doing was putting a positive spin on a uh, temporary um, classroom situation for these students. Originally, the schedule showed students would only be in the cage for 15-minute intervals, but that has since changed. This email sent to parents explains there are now indoor spaces for the classes at all times with minimal movement. The outdoor classroom area is now ready for classes to use at their own discretion. So it's really optional as to the lesson that's taking place and the um, environment that the teacher wishes to uh, teach their class in and for students to be learning in. It is a 100% backpedal in my opinion. With another two months before the portable is expected to arrive, Galbraith will take it if it means her son can go back to learning indoors. This is not okay for our children. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Nanaimo. It's been more than a year since the NDP government cancelled construction of the bridge to replace the Massey Tunnel, leaving drivers to deal with one of Metro Vancouver's worst traffic bottlenecks. Two Liberal MLAs say now's the time for the Horgan government to decide what it's going to do instead of letting millions of dollars of pre-construction work go to seed. Driving along Highway 99, you may have noticed the long stretches of sand. If you haven't, Liberal MLA Jazz Joe Hall wants to change that. Equipped with his golf clubs and plastic balls, Joe Hall is taking aim at what he calls the $100 million NDP sand trap. And at the end of the day, all we have to look at is traffic jams from morning till night and six kilometers of dirt sitting here. The sand has been sitting near the Massey Tunnel for more than a year. It's there to provide weight to compress the soils for future improvements to Highway 99. A big part of that improvement was supposed to be a 10-lane bridge to replace the Massey Tunnel, approved by the previous government and cancelled by the NDP. And the public is frustrated no improvement or replacement is planned yet. I only leave Surrey if I really have to. It's too tough to get through. It's uh, really hard to try to maneuver those lanes. The province has also dug ditches. In total, $17 million in work has been done. Transportation Minister Claire Trevena was not available for an interview today, but the ministry provided information saying the ditches will remain in place and the sand will be reused. Liberal MLA Ian Payton put up a sign a year ago about the replacement and comes out regularly with a weed whacker to clean up the area. This sign was to prove a point that we've got a lot, a lot of people south of the Fraser, uh, Ladner, Tawasson, South Surrey, White Rock that are pretty uh, fed up. A decision on what will replace the aging Massey Tunnel is still in the works, with Trevena reviewing an independent technical report and waiting for a new batch of Metro Vancouver mayors. As for the sand, the province's latest estimate is that it will be here until the end of this year. Richard Zussman, Global News, Richmond. That's a bad lie. <laughs> well, it's an environmental emergency drill that happens every year, but this year it's taking on a new level of importance. As Grace Key reports, the company that wants to expand the Trans Mountain Pipeline spent today preparing for the very disaster its critics are warning about. 
It's Trans Mountain's largest emergency response exercise in history. In this scenario, it's a land-based spill at the Westridge Marine Terminal. 160,000 litres of product went into the water and 30% of that escaped past the containment area into the Burrard Inlet. There's going to be a, uh, an effort to control the source of that spill to make sure it's not spilling any further. The next step then is to contain that spill. So you're booming around where the spill is, but you're also looking at doing protection strategies around the harbour. Every year, Trans Mountain conducts more than 20 emergency response exercises. Three skimming vessels that we see, they also have infrared cameras on them so they can detect the heat signature of that product at night. With full-scale exercises every three years at the West Ridge Marine Terminal. The response plan is required by the National Energy Board in Transport Canada. They're going to offload to this, uh, this mini barge, which is going to transport it over to the larger barge. So it's a, a constant shuttle operation. If the controversial Trans Mountain expansion project was to go through, $150 million would be made in marine spill response enhancements. But critics argue just one spill can have a dramatic impact on the environment. Trans Mountain pipeline spilled over 80 times. Uh, the last spill was only a couple of months ago and turned out to be 40 times larger than what the company first uh, reported. Uh, and so spills are a reality. It's about $150 million investment with uh, five to seven new bases along the, uh, the transit, the tanker transit in the Sailor Sea. And uh, it would involve about another uh, 120 um, full-time uh, res response organization jobs. The terminal currently serves about five tankers a month. With the Trans Mountain Pipeline and Westridge Marine Terminal expansion, it's expected to service up to 37 vessels a month. Grace Key, Global. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. News. The remnants of former Hurricane Florence drench New York City. Water pours into the subway system, leaving some passengers in ankle-deep water. One video accomplishing the impossible, making people feel sorry for a New York rat as it hides behind a post to avoid the torrent of water. That is a first. Well, fresh fallout tonight from a controversial essay penned by disgraced radio host John Gomeshi. The New York Review of Books published the article by Gomeshi in which he talks about the impact and aftermath of his trial on sexual assault and choking charges. Gomeshi was ultimately acquitted of all charges. Titled Reflections from a Hashtag, the essay stirred outrage and criticism. And now the New York Review of Books is confirming that the editor who published it is no longer with the company. Well, one of America's most high-profile billionaires is on the defensive tonight after the release of a scathing report into his NBA team. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban agreeing to donate $10 million to organizations that help victims of domestic violence after the report found two decades of workplace harassment and misconduct in the Mavericks organization. He's the brash billionaire and owner of the Dallas Mavericks who's even hinted at a presidential run. 
But tonight, Mark Cuban is apologizing. Just never in my wildest dreams did I think that that this was happening right underneath me. In a bombshell report in February, Sports Illustrated first detailed the allegations of sexual misconduct against the Mavericks. The team then launched an independent investigation. It found sexual harassment by several Mavericks employees over 20 years. Most notably, improper workplace conduct toward 15 female employees by the Mavericks' former president and CEO, Tardima Ussery, including inappropriate comments touching and forcible kissing. NBC News could not immediately reach Ussery for comment, but investigators said that he denied inappropriate kissing or touching and only acknowledged complimenting women. It is really impossible, I think, now for me standing here to overstate to you how devastating it is for an organization when the CEO is the person who is engaged in sexual harassment. Cuban himself did not face any misconduct allegations, but the report finds that several of his disciplinary decisions constituted significant errors in judgment. Since the allegations became public, he's hired a new female CEO. We have a speak-up culture now. The report recommends that the Mavericks hire more women and create a formal process for employees to report misconduct. Gabe Gutierrez, NBC News, New York. Police in Texas say it's a miracle no one was killed when a small plane crashed onto a road in a suburb of Houston. Witnesses say the plane clipped power lines on the way down and then struck at least three vehicles before finally ending up on a median. A number of people were hurt, but only one was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. And still in Texas, but just north of Dallas now, a police officer stops to help a motorist who slid off a road. Luckily, he sees a truck about to do the same thing, pulls the driver out of harm's way before it would have crushed her between the two vehicles. Quick reflexes. Mm -hmm. In Health Matters tonight, an Edmonton daycare has reignited the debate over whether we're too worried about our children's safety. In a letter sent to parents, the daycare advises them to provide a helmet for their toddlers to wear on the playground in case they trip and fall. Now, while some are accusing the daycare of going overboard, the administrators say it's a matter of protecting some young children. Some kids, as I said, they are not aware of their environments, especially when they are very young, babies and toddlers. It's not about sort of that Lord of the Flies, there's chaos and pandemonium everywhere and fires in the corner. I'm here if you need me, rather than be careful, don't climb too high. Really allows children to think a little bit more on their own about, hmm, I wonder how, how high is too high? The Alberta government is telling parents that helmets should not be worn on playgrounds because the straps can choke a child if they are caught on equipment. Now to a husband and father who sold off his prized possession without a second thought. He did it to help pay for his wife's cancer treatment. And now, years later, his kids pulled off a surprise reunion. A true love story for family and a 93 Mustang GT named Christine. Christine was Wesley Ryan's pride and joy. My husband uh, had a need for speed. Good times were spent in that Mustang until 17 years ago when wife Laura got cancer. Christine took a back seat to family. Wes sold the car to pay medical bills. And my husband said, this, this car has to go. Um, your life before this vehicle. Today, Laura is cancer-free, and the kids found Christine, same VIN number, for sale. They pooled their money, blindfolded Dad, and reintroduced him to his other sweetheart. To see him break down the way he did, 
for a big, big fella he is, man, it was, it was tons of emotions. The Ryans and their four-wheeled family member ready for the open road again. Kevin Tibbles, NBC News. A news hour follow-up tonight and a happy ending for a Metro Vancouver animal refuge. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the Greyhaven Exotic Bird Sanctuary has finally found a new home after a struggle that threatened its existence and the 600 animals it cares for. Hello. Welcome to the new home of Greyhaven Exotic Bird Sanctuary. Hello. 66 parrots live here where the largely volunteer staff keep them clean and fed and entertained. <laughs> they are what remains of the largest animal rescue in North American history. Two years ago, when the founder of the World Parrot Rescue on Vancouver Island died, Greyhaven took on nearly 600 homeless birds. It's going to lead to faith because the idea that a little wee tiny organization could do something with almost 600 birds was pretty idiotic, actually. All of a sudden, the small not-for-profit had to find a big space to house them all, space that was always temporary and often not well ventilated. The dust permeated the air all the time, which was very hard on the macaws, and it was, uh, we had a lot of sneezing macaws. Finding a more permanent location was a challenge. We are not ideal tenants, you know. They might potentially chew the woodwork a little bit, and they're certainly noisy. But their perseverance has at last paid off. We are in the basement of our new shelter, and this is Macaw Manor. In Ladner, in a converted house, their new shelter is roomy, bright, and with windows that let the breeze blow in. Ready, Bungie? All they need now are volunteers from their new community, donations to support the effort, and of course, forever homes for the remaining birds. I love you, you know that? Yeah, I love you. It's been exhausting, it's been stressful, but it is probably the biggest privilege of my life. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, Cathay Pacific has rolled out a brand new jet and it went viral for all the wrong reasons. That's coming up right after the forecast. Just um, use spell check. We'll That's right. Give you a hint there. <laughs> all right. Yvonne Shell is in tonight for Christy Gordon with a look at our forecast. And it's been so nice. I know. Yvonne. Hopefully today we keep that in the back of our minds. So we remember this over the next few days that it can be nice and it will be once again. But uh, this is ominous looking. We are going to see rain pushing in and heavy at times. I'll show you how much in just a moment. Right now, just a chance for some isolated showers. There's more cloud cover right across the south coast. Still seeing some shower activity for the central interior, but it's in behind. We've got a number of systems that are going to push in and rain and very heavy at times. Here's a look at the timing of it. By tomorrow afternoon, we've got an increase in cloud cover. By the evening, a heavy round of rain will push in. It continues for Friday morning and throughout the day on Friday. Saturday, we're hoping that it'll ease off for the first official day of fall. The heavier amounts will be along the western sections of the island. And a special weather statement has been issued for the following areas that are in grey. We are looking at it from Metro Vancouver, Howe Sound, right along the Sunshine Coast, 
eastern sections of Vancouver Island by Friday morning, anywhere between 30 and up to 50 millimetres, and then an additional 30 and 50 millimetres through the day on Friday. Western sections of the island, though, more rainfall, 40 and up to 60. Inland sections could see up to 100 millimetres. This will be by Friday morning. And by Friday evening, an additional 30 and up to 50 millimetres. And we are looking at a southeasterly wind for the western sections of the island, anywhere between 40 and up to 60 millimetres, 60 kilometres per hour. So blustery conditions paired with that wet weather. For tomorrow, the northern half of the province at 15 degrees. Inland, we're looking at excuse me, a chance of showers. Flurries for the piece up to two centimeters, tapering off by the afternoon. Much of the central and southern interior tomorrow, it's a chance of showers for the day, but the southern interior will see heavier rain towards the evening, and it's rain heavy at times, by the evening hours on Thursday and a significant amount for our Friday. We're hoping that it'll taper off on our Saturday, but it is quite blustery and wet over the next three days. And then on Sunday, the latter half of the weekend, it'll rebound. We're back into some sunshine, looking fantastic for the beginning of next week and warming up as well. Tonight's weather window, a beautiful shot. Let's see if we get there. There we go. A beautiful shot that was taken from Robson Valley from David. So thank you, guys. Oh, so pretty. Oh, nice. Lock that away mm-hmm. for when the rains come. <laughs> Thanks, Yvonne. Airlines often make a big deal of rolling out brand new passenger jets, but Cathay Pacific is getting attention for the wrong reasons. The flagship carrier of Hong Kong tweeting this picture of its new plane. Can you spot the problem? Its name painted in giant letters on the side, but missing an F in Pacific. You have to wonder how that slipped by. Uh, the tweet including a picture of a worker fixing the mistake. And needless to say, this generated a lot of reaction online, most of it along the lines of Cathay Pacific has no Fs to give. (laughs) (laughs) Pushing the limits of what's acceptable on television. There were no Fs. But I bet you there was one big F bomb when someone saw this. I bet there was. Probably more than one. picture here. Oh, it's only the preseason, but we're playing a long game. Yeah, that's right. Missing the playoffs and getting a high draft pick next June, not a bad thing. Just saying. He didn't score a goal, but Elias Pettersson did get people talking after his first preseason game last night, and all the talk was good. He did not show any fear playing on the smaller NHL rink where your decision time is shorter, and the mantra is, he who hesitates is hit. He looked especially good in the power play, playing in the face-off circle like Brock Besser does. It'll be quite interesting to see if Travis Green uses Besser and Pedersen on the same power play in the regular season, or will he break them up and give one to each power play unit? The one play last night that made Canucks Nation smile was this one, which did not result in a goal, but it did register on the, did you see that meter? And again, he put it wide of the goal. Gets another chance. Nice move. Drops off. Yeah, he was great. Um, you know, he finds the right spots everywhere around the ice, and um, he's sneaky out there. And had a few breakaways, some good chances, and uh, I'm sure they'll go in for him soon. Elias Pedersen to Ben Hutton. Here's Nikolai Goldovan. Pedersen shoots. Toe saved by Talbot. Um, he is. Uh, like I said, he's got tremendous skill, tremendous vision, and um, it makes the, the power play a lot easier um, when you have a guy like that around the half hole. So that yeah, was uh, a lot of fun tonight, and hopefully we can keep continuing to get, keep getting better. Patterson to Horvath. He hit the post. Rebound. Will Logan scores. Okay, for an exhibition game, there were two memorable moments. Actually, 
play of the year material moments. First off, this save by Cam Talbot. And it's a nice pass here by Pedersen. Watch, Pedersen down low. Back pass, but Talbot with a massive save off Goldolbin. The red light went off as Pedersen... Talbot was great two seasons ago for the Oilers. He was terrible last year. He might have been burnt out from the year before, but man, that is a brilliant save. And then Sven Berici's goal. Not many goalies expect the player to do that. The no-look between the legs. Not sure if he'll break that out in the regular season, but it was fun to see it last night for Sven Berchi. Okay, tonight Canucks and Calgary, different lineup. Thatcher Demko will start in goal. Uh, Michael DiPietro will be the uh, backup. He'll play a period. Those two are basically the future of Canucks net mining. Uh, Adam Gaudet's going to play in this one as well as Ole Yolevi. No Brock Besser. He didn't play last night either. Tomorrow it's the Kings in Vancouver. Well, instead of winning and losing, the better way to look at things is winning and learning. Every player in every sport is going to make mistakes, and some can be rather glaring, just like Brett Levi's mistake for the Whitecaps against Seattle on Saturday. His mistake caused a goal. Now, how he deals with it determines whether he gets over it, obviously, and improves. But it's not just him. How the coach deals with it is important as well. from Brett Levi's. Obviously a, a split second decision and, and I, I didn't see him. Um, you know, I, I'm at first glance, we had two big center backs, that's all I saw was white. Put my head down, as soon as I played I see grunt, uh, green run from behind, but like I said it was a mistake. Um, it, it won't happen again, I'll do everything in my power to, to make that happen. It's a mistake that can haunt any player, surrendering what turns out to be the game-winning goal. For a young defender like Brett Levi's, it can be an all-out confidence killer for himself and the man who pencils his name into the starting 11. But not Carl Robinson. Instead of hitting the rewind button on why it happened, Robinson's all about the fast-forward button. What I said to him was, do you want to play on the weekend? And of course he said yes, and I said, well, show me. And he was the guy who run the furthest, you know, got involved in training the most yesterday, uh, which was a reaction that I wanted. Um, I think, I'm not sure what he'd done on Saturday night with his friends. He probably had to forget about the game somehow. And I said to him, you need to go through that. You need to be disappointed. You, under, you know, I don't want him to make the mistake again. And if he does make the mistake again, then I'll probably handle him differently. But when he makes a first mistake, then, listen, life's about mistakes. It's how you react. He's got to his left. That can be said for the Whitecaps on a whole. Against Seattle, they had their chances and once again squandered them. That happens again on Sunday against Dallas, and Vancouver's all but done trying to squeeze into that sixth and final playoff spot. We have been able to score goals all season long. I think the amount of chances that we have created is more than seasons in the past, but we're missing a lot of chances too, big chances. You know, right now everything counts, and uh, we want the season to last more than, you know, what is it, October 26 or 27. We want it to last more, so uh, we have to make everything everything count. Jay Janower, Global Sports. Number 10, Josh Gordon, acquired by the Patriots from the uh, Cleveland Browns earlier this week. A talented player whose talent has been eclipsed by him getting suspended for drug and alcohol violations. The Patriots will not say if he'll play against Detroit on Sunday night. If he gets his act together, if this would be a steal for the Patriots. He can't wear number 12 like he did in Cleveland because there's another guy in the Patriots who has that number. Yes, somebody very, very important not really who's not giving it up. It up yeah. 
Coming up on ET Canada, what's next for Julie Chen? Will she leave Big Brother? Plus Jeff Probst in Fiji to preview Survivor David versus Goliath. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right. Thanks very much, Paul. Well, her story blew up on social media after Canadian superstar Drake visited her in hospital as she waited for a life-saving heart transplant. Late last month, Chicago's Sophia Sanchez got her new heart, and just three weeks after surgery, she's already going strong. Sophia Sanchez is hard to keep up with. I haven't felt this free in a while. Impossible to believe she got a new heart just three weeks ago. What are you looking forward to the most when you get to go back home for See good? See everybody, go back to school, just say, hey everybody, I'm back. Yell my name. <laughs> <'Cause that's what laughs> Yell your name? Yeah, and I'm going to be like, I'm back. And then, because that's what I always used to do, yell in the morning. Hey everyone, it's Sophia. I don't know. She's not shy, is no. she? <laughs> she is not. Her mom, Natalie, knew something was wrong when her daughter could no longer walk the stairs or keep up with her travel softball team. The whole month of June, I was taking her from doctor to doctor. And what were they saying? Um, asthma. Um, one doctor said she had psychological issues. By the time Sophia got to Lurie Children's Hospital, her heart was functioning at 12%. She needed a transplant. Was it scary when they said your heart's not working right? Yeah. How are you feeling? Great. But yeah. Sophia focused on the positive. She could still dance to Drake's hit of the summer, and her video went viral. Please come and see me. Then she asked Drake to visit for her 11th birthday. Oh, my God! <laughs> you asked me to come, I'm here. When you said, hey, come visit me, Drake, did you ever in a million years think you would? Not really, but I had a tough morning. And then when he came and surprised me, it made my whole entire day better. Six days later, her mom told her they had a heart donor. Congratulations! I'm getting a heart! One day, she hopes to meet the donor's family. I want to be a donor because it gives a second chance for other people to... And that video that got her all the attention in the first place? Just look at her dance now. What's your favorite song? God's Plan. Because God has a plan for me to get a heart, and I got it. Kate Snow, NBC News, Chicago. Wow. can't believe how well she's doing. So, so good. Cute. She's like, she seems like she's 21 years old in like a <laughs> tiny body. But uh, wishing the best for yeah. her continued uh, success and health. No we doubt. love Sophia. Mm-hmm. Final word on the weather? I'm going to be very wet and blustery over the next few days, so be prepared and much cooler. Saturday, we're welcoming fall, but the uh, latter half of the weekend looking fantastic. Two bonus days on the look ahead there, just yes. so we've loaded up with a little more sunshine. I appreciate that. Thanks for watching, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night.